They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Joe, how are you today? I am doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I am doing fine. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit today, a follow-up conversation about our two, uh, that we had with our two Yagam guys, Andrew and Nate. Yeah, that was a really great interview. I felt so much energy come from their conversation. They are definitely excited about what they are doing and the passion that they have for young adult in global mission ministry is amazing to me. I mean, they they truly love what they do and sharing the story about the people who are out there serving as missionaries all over the world. Not only just their passion for it, but their their faith too. They you can tell is just such an integral part of who they are and the work that they're trying to accomplish and uh, the connections they're making. So I I was inspired by it, and I know you were too. You can see the connections that we have, and, and then the ministry that we do in our congregations. How that is connected to the wider church and what we give to. Uh, our congregations individually do have a great effect on those who are serving all around the world. And then, and then also, I really enjoyed the connection that they had with be, not being able to go to the library for the interview that we had and ending up at one of our Lutheran churches here in Massachusetts. That was pretty fun. <laughs> you know, just amazing how, yeah, how we have those connections being part of the, the larger church. Yeah, I agree. It's just, it is a a cool thing to be connected. So often we, uh, you know, we relate to our congregation primarily. And uh, so often we forget that the church is bigger than that. And uh, when we can actually see it in a tangible way, it's, it's worth celebrating. And our conversation with them was definitely about that. So that was fun. Definitely, definitely. So what are some of the things that you pulled out from our conversation that we could talk about today? Well, the first thing that I, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was uh, when Andrew was talking about being versus doing, he was telling this story of how he had helped plant the grain. And then, um, you know, he was very excited about the work that they had accomplished. And then the next day he was told he had to redo it because right, the, right. Birds, the birds came and ate it. And, uh, you know, at first he was flustered by it, but then he, he realized that it was it wasn't about the work so much as it was being with the people throughout the whole day and the connections and relationships that were built. Uh, so he didn't mind doing it a second time. And just to go along with that, the whole notion we have in the Western world, especially here in the United States of, you know, we define ourselves by our work. Uh, so often, you know, that's the first question beyond asking somebody what their name is. It's what do you do that we, that we forget to just be, I, I thought that was good. It was a good reminder of, of being who we are as people redeemed in Christ and sent to love others in a way that being present. Uh, how about you? I picked up on that as well. And it really kind of struck a chord with me when 
he was talking about going to do this work and the first question is, okay, what do I have to do? We all ask that, right? When we get into a situation, when I get into work, you know, for the, for the day, I say, okay, what am I going to do today rather than how am I going to be? And, uh, you know, we, we talked earlier on a, an earlier podcast about, you know, our job as uh, pastors in the church, you know, you're not, you're in my job is to be the presence of God in a sense, to bring God into uh, certain situations, you know, when someone has died or when someone is sick, we bring the presence of God. We say prayers, we read scripture, we, we comfort people. Um, that is that is our, our job is to be, not necessarily to do. And I know I, for one, get caught up very easily on, in the, the doing part, the day-to-day tasks that need to get done and, and the planning and, and the sermon writing and, and the meetings and the budgets and all that kind of stuff. All, I, I have this to-do list um, maybe I should start making a, a to-be list, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. It's all about the presence uh, that we share with each other. And it's about, um, I don't think it's necessarily bringing God in the situations, but, you know, acknowledging that God is there. Right, right. And right. a way that we so often overlook, I didn't know that's what you meant too, but just, yeah. I, and think of, you start your week in the same way I do. You you build this to-do list, you know, you evaluate yourself on your success to be able to accomplish those things. And how many of those things on the list are really just being, uh, I'm going to guess very few, very few, you know, uh, uh, you know, for example, you know, this was on the calendar today. We're going to do this podcast. Um, I know you and I both do some writing. We got to get that accomplished. We've got to prepare sermons. We've got meetings to tend to. We've got people we need to connect with. Um, and so often it's not about actually doing the connecting. It's, it's about just checking it off the list. And I, I'll fully admit to that it happens a lot because you're just trying to get things accomplished. I think we lose a lot that way, don't we? We do. We definitely lose a lot that way and shift away from, from the mission. I mean, I think we create our to-dos around the mission of our church and, and what we are called to serve, but when it does become a checkoff on our to-do list, that we kind of lose a sense of, of the presence of God in what we are doing. And I, I definitely love that reminder that he brought in and in such a real way in talking about what he was called to do during his Yagam year and the story that he shared. Yeah. And the other piece around that, I mean, we've got an emphasis in our church about accompanying others. I mean, really it is about being the problem that we so often run into because we're such do driven people is we do ministry to people rather than alongside them or with them or in partnership. Right. I mean, we, we, well, we degrade people in a way because we do that. Right. We don't mean to, but we, Rather than approach people as as equal contributors or as something that uh, they can teach us while we're doing this together, um, it becomes about what we have to offer to them. And that's just not the kind of relationships we need or, or would benefit from ourselves or, or would really find you know ultimately that helpful in a long a long term thing. You know, we used to have people lament and they say, oh, we used to have missionaries we sent to go do evangelism in other places. And we did do that. Uh, and the thing about that is it actually worked. And now there are churches in these places. We don't need to do that there. We need to walk alongside the churches that are there and um, support the mission that they are already called to do. Right. 
we can certainly do that. And especially in this uh, 21st century landscape where the church in the West is really the church that's in decline and the church in other parts of the world is the church that's flourishing. Uh, we can learn a lot from those who are doing incredible work of evangelism in the places where we traditionally used to send the missionaries and to send some young adults emerging in their own identity and leadership to go learn from these folks uh, what it means to be in partnership and to uh, walk with Jesus together. We could use some of that inspiration around here, don't you think? I definitely think so, yeah. So one of the things that I really picked up on in our conversation with Andrew and Nate is this idea that we um, can do mission work wherever we are, that we don't have to go overseas or even go in different parts of the United States to do mission work, that it really begins at home with our churches, with our own communities, and having that sense of call in, in doing the work that needs to be done, you know, and then we can also branch out and, and look for opportunities either to support people who do uh, mission work overseas, like supporting a, a Yagam young adult or finding ways that we can connect with others in, in around the country. Yeah. I think so many of our congregations came to being, because we had people that wanted to organize, and so they formed an, uh, a congregation. So either it was legitimate mission starts where we organized around a community and tried to um, spread the good news of Jesus there, and it became it it developed into a congregation. But I think a lot of them are, you know, people that were, say, Lutherans in the old country, and then they came to the U.S. and then they planted a church of people just like themselves, and it reflected not only their faith and culture, but also the context that they were in, uh, you know, so it was not that different to be at church with the same people that you did business with and you lived next to and were your family members and that sort of a thing, which there was nothing wrong with that. It was just a different time and place than we live in now. I mean, the mission field is right outside our door in a much different way than it was five 10 years ago or a generation ago. And uh, so many of our churches are still in a place where we, we operate as if we're still in that culture where the church and society are the same place. So we've got a lot of opportunity, that's for sure, to look around and say, I mean, yeah, it's awesome to support young adults doing this leadership uh, model. But it's also just as important to look outside our door and see who we can partner with there and say, okay, here's a real need in our community, and um, we can help with that, but there's probably some other organizations that can help with that too. You know, Perhaps the church's role in that type of a thing is to try to bring some people together to work on it, or at least add ourselves into the mix. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I heard about this actually was going into my first call. I was talking to a seminary professor who said, you know, one of the things that I, I see in you, Joe, is maybe a, an ability to become a mission developer. So going into a community and starting a new church. So I went through the process. So our church has a process of a number of interviews and essays that you have to write. And, and I went quite a bit of ways through the process and then finally got to a certain point that I, I didn't go on. I continued to have this idea of maybe being a mission developer, but a mentor of mine said, well, you know, you can do mission work in any congregation that you are a part of. 
And that kind of changed my mindset of ministry a little bit. And it's it's not just going and like you said, just at one point our church would just open its doors and and the neighborhood would flood in because that's what you did. You go into the church in your neighborhood and right. now we open our doors and pray that somebody comes in, you yeah, know, right. and, and some people are driving past five, six, seven, eight churches before they get to the church that they attend. And so it's a different kind of work that we are doing in the church now, and it's not just opening our doors and they will come. It is finding different ways to minister to people as a, a church community, as a body of Christ. And sometimes those people are going to be attending here uh, in, in our congregations on a Sunday morning, and sometimes you know, we're going to be ministering to them in different ways, as you and I have been experimenting with. Yeah, and I remember, I mean, even in my lifetime of ministry of being in a, a place that was, I mean, my first two churches, the first one was very much, I mean, it was a rural community in South Dakota and the people went to church. Yep. I mean, there were two churches in town, but and, you know, people went to one of them. I mean, that was just, that was just <laughs> one the or life. the other. Yeah. Right. And they swapped, you know, they'd get mad at one pastor, they go to the other place, which is, you know, not an uncommon story for a lot of churches. I mean, you know, that's just kind of the the climate they they have been in, but I don't think we're in that situation anymore. And then the second place I was, was a suburban area in Connecticut. You know, it was still very much the the church shopping network, you know, people would move into town and they would visit the churches and then they would settle in the one where they felt comfortable. And that was just expected. That was just kind of the way the culture was. And it was what the congregations expected too. So you would, um, you know, plan accordingly for that. I went through a shift just in my own thinking and experiences. That model just seemed to not quite work as well over time. Uh, when I went to my last parish, which was, I started seeing myself as a missionary in that place not the settled pastor with the tasks that that kind of traditionally entails, even though I still had to attend to those things, but um, just to conceptualize my work and role a lot differently as a missionary in a place where, you know, when I was in New Canaan, we, there were seven churches in town. All of us were struggling. All of us, we had a great ministerium. I mean, all of the clergy got together very well, but it was non-competitive. It was very much a supportive network of, look, we're all trying to do ministry here. There's more than enough people that aren't interested at all, <laughs> yeah. as well yeah. as people that would be interested if we could find a way to connect to them. So let's support each other in doing that work, which was totally different than the place prior to that to me, which was very competitive. Um, you know, who's going to get this new family? And it was a, just a different climate. I, that has since changed in that context as well in in these years. But you know, if you're still operating out of a model that doesn't exist anymore and you're trying to connect with people, you still can relationally, but it's it's going to be a lot more difficult than if you're really seeing the, the, the calling that's in front of you. And I think for most contexts today, being the church is not a given. It's just one aspect that some people relate to and others don't. And so if you're going to try to connect, you better be doing... Uh, things of value. And and the one thing we can offer is our witness to Jesus and what that means. And that plays itself out in a variety of ways, but I mean, the world won't give you that. Right. And, right. And so the excitement, the, uh, the joy, I mean, it was, it was great talking with these guys because they had that. I mean, they got that it was all about Jesus and, it, and how we live that out together. 
uh, it was fun hearing the stories about, you know, people saying, you know, they were so excited to be Lutherans. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right. I don't remember which country it was, somewhere in Africa. And, uh, you know, how, what an exciting thing that was because, uh, you know, it was life-changing and it was uh, gave them direction and purpose in their lives. And I think so often we just get stuck with going through the motions, not because we're bad people or we're not up to the task, but we just don't uh, – we don't really consider what it means to to really have found this amazing good news in our lives that does change who we are. You know, it's just kind of one more thing on the list. And if we if we are caught in that doing versus being model where it's just it's just more on the list of things we haven't done yet, you know, it just we lose that piece, I think. We definitely lose that piece and one of the things that I think we have to do as the church is to have this sense of identity of knowing who we are and what God is calling us to do, because your congregation and my congregation are called to do completely different things. We're called to make disciples. We're called to worship God, you know, those kind of basic things. But the way my community does that and the way your community does that are are different. And we also have a different depth to the ministry that we do. So it's first trying to identify what our mission is, what is God calling our particular church to do, and to really stay by that and and live that out, because it is important to have that identity. So then the people in our community, so when they are looking for a particular thing, they'll be like, oh, I can go to X church because they are the church that does X, whatever that is. And it's it's a struggle to find that identity because we have people in our congregations who, like anybody anywhere else, has a, a different passions and has things that we get excited about. So one person can say, yes, we really want to be a church that does youth ministry well. And then someone else says, well, we want to be a church that does senior adult ministry well. And yeah, you could do both, but if you were to focus on one and say, we want to be the church that is called to do youth ministry, and then you're going to reflect that passion in everything that you do and, and to make that a priority. Yeah. And to build on that, I mean, we, we do need to um, focus and pick, pick where we can actually contribute the best. I th- I agree with that. But I think the other piece to that, and it's kind of the, um, unfinished business of the Reformation really is, is the calling of each of our people. I mean, if we can see ourselves as leaders in the church, as missionaries called to certain communities, we should really think about ways of cultivating that among our people too. I mean, it's, I mean, I think in my context here, I've got probably a half hour to 40 minutes in any direction is where the people live. So it's not like that farming community I was telling you about where everybody lived in town or in the fields and and then they came to the churches that were there. It's, it's very spread out. And if we can think about how we send people back to where they live as missionaries in that place too, that could be a helpful way to help nurture their faith and how they follow Jesus in this world. That, that, that can become part of what our congregations do is cultivate that sense of mission of not just the work we're doing corporately, but the, the work we're all each called to in each of the pathways we take. Oh, yeah. Definitely finding out how we can help people f- f- live out their faith, not only within the context of the church, but in their everyday life. Yeah, yeah. That is definitely an important thing to do. And I think, again, as we move forward as the church, finding out how do we do that, 
not only support people while they are in the church building, but also what are the different ways that we can support them in their homes. And that is, you know, empowering them to live out their faith, but also providing resources like, you know, this podcast and other podcasts that we listen to that they can listen to this during the week and, and hopefully be inspired to, to live out faith in everyday life and also reading blogs and, and that sort of thing. A lot of the internet hybrid context that, w- that we can also provide for our people. Yeah. What was the quote that they had from Desmond Tutu? I Ubuntu. am Ubuntu. Yeah. yeah Ubuntu. Ubuntu, which is I am because we are. Right. So it's, it's both individual and, and communal at the same yes. time. Right. Yeah. Right. And one of the other things that we talked about from this interview is being a welcoming church versus an inviting church. What are some of your thoughts initially about being a welcoming versus inviting church? Well, on another podcast that I listened to, they had done some research. This was uh, Lifeway. They had done some research and they said um, of the congregations that they interviewed, which was cross-denominational, only 6% of them were actually evangelistic in the way they approached ministry as a congregation. Uh, the way that they evaluated that was as if if each each person invited one person to come a year. <laughs> right. So so pretty low bar. Yeah. Yeah. So 6% in the U.S. was their, their takeaway that um, actually had congregations that invited other people to come. And then you wonder why the church is in such decline, you know? Yep. But, and the other thing that they also found, which I thought was very interesting, is that the other polling that they had done is they said that eight out of 10 people would come if they were invited. So you have nobody doing inviting, but you have people waiting to be invited. Yep. And um, they, they said, we even tried it as a staff. So they sent out 10 people and eight, eight people brought someone back with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the stat worked you know, yep. in a very small little data sample. But it, it made me think, you know, uh, we try so hard of, of scheming ways to be in scheming. I mean, not in a negative crass way, but just like of, of always trying to like think of the, the next better way to be more welcoming. You know, we need a, a good welcome center or we need better signage or we need to make sure all our accessible codes are up to date. Uh, or maybe the bulletin could be a little bit more accessible than just page numbers. Maybe we put the stuff in there or maybe we use a screen or maybe the music could be more modern or maybe the preaching could be more engaging or, you know, we come up with all these great ideas and concepts of ways to feel more comfortable. But do we actually send people out to say, well, bring a friend with you? Right. We don't do um, that. We don't do that. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was, you know, they, they had, uh, you know, back in the day, you'd send people out to, you know, cold call or go invite people on the doorstep kind of thing. And everybody cringes when you talk about that, myself included. I'd hate that. But the takeaway was when, when churches dropped doing that, they never replaced it with anything. Right. So, I mean, I think in my own context, I would say of any of the churches I've been a part of in my life, including the churches I grew up in when I wasn't the pastor, but just a kid growing up, uh, this is by far the most friendly congregation I've ever been a part of. And I've been part of some really good churches, but we have no welcome plan or or invitation plan. Uh, We have, if people sign the guest book, we'll follow up with them. That's if they leave their contact information. That's, that is correct. You know, I, I have a hard time even finding people that would be on the welcoming team. These are a group of people that like other people, <laughs> you know? <it's, laughs> right, right. Um, 
And I think, you know, there's something going on there, but I think the residue is they remember a time when they were asked to cold call or they were asked to go knock on people's doors and nobody likes that because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't work. To go back to the excitement thing, think of the things in your life that a friend of yours told you about and then you went and, and participated in yourself. And not just church stuff, but, you know, somebody saw a movie, they thought it was great, and they couldn't stop talking about it. And so you said, well, I want to see that movie, and then you go see it. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, I think. You know, if we really believe that we have something here, the life we have in Jesus really is something that people should want to be a part of their lives because it means so much to us. We can reflect that in a way where we are kind of contagious, you know? Right. And not to strangers necessarily. You'll get some strangers. I mean, we had visitors this this weekend, new to the area, moved in. We're looking, you know, I hadn't been to church in a while, thought they'd try it because they're in a new community, liked what they experienced. That will still happen. I hope that still continues well into the future for our congregations. But that's not an evangelism strategy. That's a welcoming strategy. I mean, it's just, it's trying to not be offensive when someone walks in the door. (laughs) (laughs) With the thought that maybe they come a second time. Right. But if if you've got a friend, I mean, our daughter invited the neighbor girl to come. They're best friends. She started coming because she wants to be with her friend. And now she's kind of part of things. And... You know, the rest of the family hasn't quite come yet, but if you're kind of thinking long-term and say, okay, you know, it's about the relationship, it's not about the numbers, you know, we care for them and and, uh, relate to them anyway, wouldn't that be a cool thing to, you know, also add into our friendship? And if, if not, also okay, but at least the invitation is extended to say, hey, this is, we've got a great thing going here and you'd, you'd benefit from it too, if you, if you'd like. It, it doesn't have to be so complicated, and I think we make it a lot more complicated because we remember being asked to do something we were not comfortable with the last time. And I think part of the hesitation in inviting is the rejection. I think we really blow that out of proportion, you know, and I'll tell a little story. There was uh, a family at my last congregation that they first started coming to our church for vacation Bible school and their kids had a great time, but that's the only thing they came to was vacation Bible school. Actually, they started coming to different church events. So if we had, we had an Easter egg hunt, they came to that near, it was near Christmas. They stopped by the church and said, we just want a place to kind of collect our thoughts. It's been a really hard week and we want to pray. We walked into the sanctuary and we sat down, we talked for a little bit, we prayed. And I said, you know, I'm so glad that you guys come for Vacation Bible School. So glad you're, you're coming to different events and, and that you're here now. Would you consider coming on a Sunday morning? And they said, oh, we, we belong to the Catholic Church in town, but we just really love coming here. <laughs> you know, so yeah, kind of right, got right. rejected there, which is fine. But they still start. They still came to other events, and they still had kind of this loose relationship with with the church, and it was okay. You know, you, you put out the invitation. They said no. It didn't hurt our friendship. It didn't hurt our relationship. You know, things still continued. If we're if your your church is looking to be a more inviting church, maybe we can talk about a few ways to do that. And and one way that 
I think would be helpful is to start cultivating that culture of inviting, bring a friend Sunday, and, and specifically have that as part of people's intention is a good way to give people permission to ask, not just because I want to ask you to bring you to church, but, oh, my, my church is having a bring a friend Sunday, going up to someone and saying, would you like to come? And it's, it's that permission that might help initiate that conversation. Is there something else that you think might help in cultivating the culture of inviting in a particular congregation? Yeah, I think sometimes, too, you know, we have all these other side events. Having been on the inside of churches so long since I'm a pastor, it's hard to, I mean, I haven't had the experience of moving to a new place and saying, oh, where am I going to go to worship? So I, I can't really speak in the first person in that regard. But I could say, you know, sometimes it's it's scary because you don't know anybody. Right. But if a friend is inviting you to come, maybe you would. Or if you are the person doing the inviting, maybe you you invite them to a social event so they can get to know some people first and find out that these people aren't quite so scary. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we've got this great thing. It's fun. Uh, you know, no pressure, but you just thought you'd enjoy it. Why don't you come with me? We have a luncheon like that. It's a, We have a senior luncheon that people bring their friends to all the time. And um you know, we just think it's great. It's we we offer this meal, and we usually have a speaker on some topic. It's not church related. Uh, that's really for anybody, and we just kind of offer that, and people come to it and bring their neighbors and friends, and then we kind of say, you know, we do this often, but we do other stuff too, and we'd love love for you to come join us for that uh, if you'd like. So there's lots of I, there's lots of ways, but I think it's it it comes down to the basic piece of. I don't remember where I got this quote, but I, I've heard it enough times. It's, you know, people come to church often on the elbow of a friend. It's cultivating that piece of saying, you can, you can do this. It's not hard. Right. It's just, it, actually, it should be natural if you are simply just expressing your connection to how you live your faith already. And it, it's not about knowing all the answers and, you know, being a, having a doctorate in theology or something like that, or it's not having, you know, been on the right committee or council or something either. It's just about saying, you know, I, I'm a church person. I find this community helpful. I know you and I value who you are. And I think you would benefit from it uh, also. And here's a way that that can happen. Right. You decide what the details of that are. I think, it, I, I really think it could be that easy. Now, will people take you up on that? That's another story. <laughs> but I think, again, it's a cultural change. It's, it's, I think a lot of people just come with certain assumptions and it's nothing against them. But I think so many of our, our people in our churches in particular, but I think in a lot of churches nationally or in the West, just have this overall assumption of Christian culture that the people that aren't in the church have lost long ago. They don't operate that way. And it's often not because they're against the church. It's just it, it just hasn't been part of their experience. Right. We're losing and, that institutional mindset right. in our communities. Right. And so what you're you're left with the people that have stuck around. Thankfully, uh, you know they they are connected. They're loyal. They they like it. You know they are generous. They they make the ministry happen. So it's I don't want to knock them at all because they're good, solid, faithful people. Um, but so often they operate out of a different 
out of a context that no longer exists. Right. Um, so they start saying, well, why aren't people just coming to church? Because that's what we do on Sunday. It's because they have 50 other things going on and they don't find they, they've never experienced the value in it that you have. But you have a multitude of experience and depth of wisdom to share with people <laughs> that can tell that can share what a value it has been for you personally. And you know people on your street, on your block, you know, in your neighborhood, in your apartment building, people you work with, people you go to school with, people you work out at the gym with or, or hang out at the bar with. I mean, people that you know in every other aspect of your life that aren't connected anywhere. And it's not about, oh, well, I know they go to this church and I don't want to be offensive uh, to them or I don't think they're church people and I don't want to be proselytizing them or feel like I'm judging them. I don't think it's about that at all. No. You're being a, you're being a friend. You're just being neighborly in a way that is saying, I, I know something in my life that has great value and this is what it is. And because I care about you, I think you would enjoy checking it out. It doesn't have to be about numbers or about failure or about rejection. It's just about the offer. Or you can say, you know, some people are afraid, well, what if they say they go to another church? Then you say, that's great. Right, right, right. <laughs> Wonderful. Or, you know, I'm not Lutheran or something. Okay, well, there's a Baptist church right over there, and that's your tradition. Why don't you check them out? Maybe I know somebody over there. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't have to be competitive. It can be you know, mutual affirmation of who we are and our oneness in Christ even. And um, I mean, yeah, we, we do that differently. And of course there's disagreements. That's all I think on the human side of things. If, if we can just take a very bare bone, low level, what's the thing we're doing here? We're about the mission of God in the world. It's about loving our neighbor. And how do we do that? We do that by relating to them, by, by knowing them. By caring for them as individuals. And if we do that, I, I think it's a, na a natural next step. It's not a, what's the script? What's the strategy? What's the program? You know, uh, type of type of piece. Maybe I'm just being naive and optimistic, but I, I think we can overcome this. But I think it is, by and large, mostly a cultural piece. It's just like pastors 20 years ago did their work differently than we need to now. I mean, we have to be missionaries and we have to somehow instill that in our people that they are missionaries too. It, it's not about winning over the heathens it's <laughs> or, <laughs> or taking it to the pagans or anything like that. It's just about loving people and we can do that. Yep. You know, we're probably really good at it and we just are really shy. Right. And loving people doesn't involve a, a program. It doesn't need you know, a, a to-do list in, in order to make sure that people are loved in a certain way is just being there for people when they need you the most. It is uh, finding opportunities to connect with people and to hopefully encourage them and inspire them to live out their faith, not only on a, on a Sunday morning in worship, but each and every day of their life. So finding ways to do that having experiences within the context of the faith community, of the church, and sharing that with other people, and hopefully um, inspiring them to kind of learn a little bit more about where God is in their life. And that's something that I talked a little bit about on Sunday, is this mindset of, of scarcity versus abundance. You know, we have an abundant God. We have a God who grants us so many wonderful things, and this is something that when, when people see that, that abundance lived out, they are going to want to know 
where that comes from, and then you can invite, like Jesus invites us to come and see where that is, where that is coming from. So, yeah, and I know both of us experienced a lot of that when we worked at camp. We had this opportunity to live in community in a whole different way, and I know things like Yagam and other experiences that are offered through the life of the church do the same thing by by cultivating some leadership, by giving people some solid relationships to build on and, and to be able to express their faith in a positive, constructive way that kind of invites you to want to do it more. Yep. And we can cultivate that same spirit in our congregations. But something like Yagam is such a great program because it it is intentional about saying we've got some young adults in our church, thanks be to God. We want to lift them up as leaders and um, help them discover who God is calling them to be. And a way to do that is, uh, you know, send them off someplace and have them get to know some people in a <laughs> totally different environment right. and then bring the wisdom of that back. Like leaven in the loaf, that can just kind of, you know, change the church as a whole, I think, if we just kind of keep at it. So there's lot there's lots of ways to do this, but uh, I, I think sometimes we overthink it. Yeah. A couple of things as we kind of wrap up here. One, if you know of a young adult who might be interested in participating in Young Adults in Global Mission, applications are due, I think, February 15th. This is 2017 when we are recording this, but probably at the beginning of every year, they are accepting applications. And they talked about like, 90 positions or so that they have all around the world. So if you are a young adult listening to this, first, thank you for listening, but also check it out, elca.org backslash Y-A-G-M. Yeah, and the other thing we learned um, in talking both with these guys and with uh, Ron Glusenkamp when we had him on is the cost of the program is actually pretty reasonable. It is. Uh, it's only several... I, do you remember? Was it nine? I think it was nine thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the cost of the program is really reasonable. It's only nine thousand dollars for a whole year abroad, and so there there's some fundraising that's involved in that. But also on the other side of that, if you want to support that ministry, it's you know there's a real tangible goal there. If your congregation wants to put a little money together and help sponsor a young adult, or you yourself are feeling called to that. At that same uh, website that Joe just mentioned, elca.org backslash Y-A-G-M, uh, there are ways that you can donate specifically uh, towards this ministry to make it happen. I mean, just think about it. You could send a missionary young adult uh, to learn and cultivate their faith for a real pittance, really, when it comes down to it. That $9,000 is not much money to be able to go abroad and anywhere for any amount of time, let alone for a year. So it's a it's a great opportunity in that regard to one be able to go or or secondly to be able to help. And Andrew and Nate are looking for ways to connect with congregations. So again, you can go to that website and connect with those two and either have them come out and talk about this ministry in your congregation, or if there is a Yagam alumni in your area, they can connect you with that individual and they can come and give firsthand testimony to their experiences in the program. So we hope that you'll take advantage of that and not only change uh, your congregation, but also change a young adult's life. And also you'll be changing the church because 
majority of those individuals who experience this come back and continue to serve in the church. Yep. Hey, Jeff, I am really excited about the upcoming big game. I know that you might not be happy being a Chicago Bears fan, but did you know that the New England Patriots are in the game? I did. And did you know that the Chicago Bears are still allowed to play in the league? <laughs> that is uh, incredible that they still allow the Chicago Bears to play. But it's such an exciting time of the year, you know, the playoffs and, you know, one one loss and you're out. But the New England Patriots made it and they are playing. Who are they playing again, Jeff? Some dumb team. Oh, Atlanta. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Atlanta that's right. Falcons. That's right. So I'm so excited because we are partnering with ELCA World Hunger to raise $100,000 for World Hunger in connection with the big game. We are very excited about it. All you have to do is click on twobaldpastors.com backslash big game. And we've got a link right there, which will take you to ELCA world hunger. You can pick which team to support. I don't know why you'd pick the Falcons, but you could do that or the new England Patriots and uh, give a generous donation. Your gift is much appreciated. It will go all around the world, helping people who are struggling with hunger. And we know that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, the goat. So for only $50, you can purchase a goat to help someone in need. So go to twobaldpastors.com backslash big game and join us. Thank you. And you can join us online during the game. We'll be uh, tweeting, Facebooking and giving updates. So please tune in and we would, uh, we'll love to see you out there. Be generous and be bald. Be bald. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. She's going to call later this week to to talk more, I guess. She could have gone on probably for another hour. Yeah, boy, some people have too much time on their hands. That's my <laughs> right. And then I did post a meme at the end. <laughs> and that MLK meme? Cause, yeah, because, yeah. you know, why not? You need a picture on a blog post or no one's going to click on it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, uh, boy.